Hi, this is Mary, and welcome to my podcast, Mental State, where I dive into all things mental health and more. So today we have a special topic for you, and I've invited my friend Jacqueline to come on to the podcast to talk about it. So Jacqueline, what are we going to talk about today? And so today we're going to talk about one of my favorite subjects, and it's a pretty, I think, kind of abstract word. A lot of stuff gets lumped under this, and I think it's a kind of misunderstood term, and that is one of codependency. Oh, I wanted to say it. Codependency. Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. (laughs) And so the definition of codependency is that it's it's really characterized by excessive reliance on another person for those emotional needs, regulation, self-worth, and identify, identity, right? It involves enabling behaviors, putting others' needs before your own, difficulty setting boundaries. You might go into walls uh, or have no boundaries at all. Usually no boundaries with codependency. It's really both, right? Because I say, like, if you have insecure attachment, right? It could be an anxious attacher who identifies as codependent outright. Avoidance can also be codependent in the sense of they tend to build walls. So what I hear in that is they still struggle to have healthy boundaries. It's just anxious types tend to have no boundaries. Okay. Right? I just learned something new. <laughs> Good thing I'm doing this podcast. <laughs> so I, I'd like you to talk about, Mary, of like how codependency develops within our environment so it usually happens when we have you know codependent parents it Mm -hmm. can be it's all in the childhood it's all in the childhood and i think one of the sort of typical codependent relationships is the alcoholic and the enabler Mm. so Mm -hmm. what we see in that especially if we've grown up with an alcoholic parent and another parent who enables that alcoholic we really see our parents struggling with setting healthy boundaries, prioritizing their own needs, and really helping their children make decisions on their own. Because I feel like the enabler isn't able to make decisions on their own. So how are they going to really role model for their kids how to make healthy decisions? And when you look at that, it's when we're in the state of codependency, we're in a state of dysregulation, right? So that right there is the insecurely attached part of ourselves. And now codependency, like Mary, you just gave a really like obvious example of the alcoholic and enabler relationship. But codependency really exists in a lot of different forms, right? It's, you know, parents who are codependent will have difficulty establishing those emotional boundaries, right? There's going to be more enmeshed. It could be the hot cold, right? It's in a blurring of lines between individual identities or I might have different feelings than you do, and that's that's hard for me to tolerate, right? Or that same, if you look at mirroring, for example, I feel sad, and you tell me, cheer up, be happy, don't be sad. That is a codependent action. Right. Yeah. And I think what also can show up in families is that when one parent really enmeshes with one of their children mm-hmm. or the child becomes parentified where the child starts taking care of the parent. And and how that looks is I it, for that child is, well, the other person's needs matter before my own. And that's how I'm learning, right, the attachment to partners. It doesn't mean you don't love 
whomever's in front of you. It doesn't mean your parents don't love you if they grew up in an environment. It just meant that's how they learn to attach. And by the way, while the enabler exhibits the more primary codependency, alcoholics or substance abusers or people who have eating disorders, for example, that is all codependent too, right? It's looking for the thing outside, overly dependent on that thing outside ourselves for regulation. Mm -hmm. So let's give a few examples of other ways that codependency can manifest, right? Because, I mean, it's so insidious. and I feel like this is really all over the place. Okay. So one of the things that came to me off the top of my head is codependents might hold resentment or frustration or feel bad about themselves, right? Low self-esteem. Why am I not included in everything? My friend should be in constant contact with me. And if they don't include me, there's something, then I feel so unwanted. I feel so lonely. And we're not looking for that here or there, but a kind of consistent way of feeling. Well, I feel like, too, that speaks to what you were talking about, the externalization, because that's when we start to personalize these things, right? Yes. Like, why wasn't I invited to the party? Why am I not being included in dinner? And we start to take me, 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 me. I'm, yeah, it becomes, yeah, it becomes like I must be the problem because nobody wants to hang yeah. out with me. And I'm putting all of my value on that other person's actions of how I'm perceiving that they're treating me, not how they're treating me, but what my perception is of their, their, I'm not being treated well by them because they're not inviting me to dinner. And so that is a reflection on who I am as a person, but that is just my perception. Exactly. Yeah. That's so, so well said. I also think of dissociation when someone's being nasty to you in some way, for example, or like from the dating friend, I remember how it looked as somebody would do something or not do something, like maybe somebody, I wouldn't hear from them for weeks and then the person would reach out and I would feel that initial sense of anger. I'd be so upset. But then the next minute I wasn't sharing that. I was just like, oh, okay, I'll go out with them, right? Or maybe I even felt like I didn't have a choice. So whether it was I didn't have a choice or I just shut down that side of me that was angry because, right, like, the, the attention from the other person trumped my feelings, I would dissociate mm-hmm. in some capacity. Mm-hmm. So so codependence can look like dissociation. Mm-hmm. One thing I love we were ta- when we were talking about this codependency episode the other day and, and what we wanted to talk about, one thing that I loved is when somebody's asking you like, oh, well, what do you want to do? I don't know. Well, what do you want to do? So you're just like, mm-hmm. again, constantly gauging what the, you're constant, it's like you're being hypervigilant. Like what's going on with the external environment? You know, I need to mold myself to what the other person is wanting or needing because I'm not allowed to have my own needs It can look, or even express them. Right. And, and it's that it can be masked with, oh, I'm just trying to make the other person happy or masked with I'm trying to be agreeable or masked with, well, that makes me feel good. But there's really some sense of looking for the anchor, right? There's some kind of solidity that the codependent is looking for from the other person in order to then feel seen, heard, more solid, right, within themselves around what they need, right? And what's tricky is for those of us who run codependent, it can say, well, it just makes me feel so good to meet my partner's needs. It's not that you, as in order to step away from it, you would just say, I don't need to meet their needs. It's understanding that you're allowed to be two different people, understanding when you're acting from the place of 
fear of some possible perceived amount of distance and your rejection. Yes. Distance or rejection, Mm -hmm. right? Sometimes Mm -hmm. it could just be like a certain amount of distance. And sometimes it's, oh, I'm afraid I'll be abandoned or you'll leave me. If you're acting from that place, you're acting from a place of codependency. It's different if you're just like, feel kind of neutral or, you know, you take the lead this time, I'll I'll get it next time, right? That's not the same thing. Yeah. And I think even more around that when we are operating from a place of somebody else's needs and we want to so badly make sure that their needs are being met and we're seeing like, oh, this might be a situation that that, that's not going to happen. And it can also sound like, are you okay? Are you sure? Is everything okay? Are you okay? Are you sure? Yeah. Very much over. That's a nice way of saying that. Over attunement. And then we start to overcorrect the situation. So if someone is wanting something and we see that we can't fulfill this right now, it's like, oh, can I get you something else? Or can we do something else? Or how can we make that happen for you? And then you can really start to sense like what Jacqueline was saying before is like really start to, speaking of attunement, really start to tune into your own experience. And is this feeling like a very overly anxious moment for you, right? So that then you know the difference between really want feeling that neutrality around it, like, oh, you know, whatever. Oh, you know what? You want pizza tonight. That's fine. I don't really think of something. Or, oh my God, I really don't want that, but that person wants that. And so we need to make sure that that person's okay. And then yeah. really like creating a lot of fear around it. Yeah. Remember that the Tigger from Winnie the Pooh, love me, love me, love me. I'm so enthusiastic and happy. It's kind of that over giddiness. That is a state of dysregulation. So that is a sign for you at that point to understand if I'm feeling that way, I there's something inside me that feels dysregulated. And my way back in is to check in with myself. What am I feeling? What am I needing? If I don't know what I'm needing and that is scary, That is something to observe within yourself, and that will stop the codependent pattern. That will give you a natural boundary. I love this example. This is a very specific example. You're at dinner, and if you're the one always asking what the other person is going to get first before you reveal what you want, you're looking for everything to just kind of have it out in the open, right? So again, to have that anchor you in some way to define what you want. Oh my right? God. I've been in this situation so many Definitely times. Definitely done that. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean, it's, it's like when somebody, I mean, I've definitely done it and I've learned how to correct it because I ended up with somebody who's like, get what you want. Mm-hmm. So if we're at dinner, they're like, well, I'm going to get the burger. And then I'm thinking to myself, damn it, I wanted to get the burger, but now I feel like I need to get something different. And then I create this whole story around it, like, oh, well, then I'll order the chicken salad and so that we don't have two burgers on the table and then I can try yours and you can try mine. And the other person is looking at me like I have five heads and just looking at me and saying, like, just order what you want. And I'm like, no, I don't know how to do that because I need to make sure that everybody's needs are met and also overcorrect just in case you wanted some chicken salad. I don't even know what you want because I didn't ask. And yeah, it just turns into this whole thing. And it's like, okay, I'll just order the burger. (laughs) Or that kind of desperation of, oh, they're getting the burger. Maybe I wanted the burger. But there's these other things that I want. So, okay, can we have all of these? And I'm strategizing. Do you hear the kind of the, the pressure in that within the head of, 
to make sure all the needs are met. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So again, it's that looking outside self for regulation. If you're with a partner or even the same, it can exist with friends, right? It's across the board. It can be in work relationships, right? Because our attachment style really affects how we attach to anything that we care about. If you're always shifting your patterns or needs versus sometimes it's, it's natural to shift based on the other person sometimes. But if you're always the one shifting your needs, chances are you're codependent. Well, I, and what just came up for me when you were talking about, um, you know, taking care of the other person's needs and how that is the intention of that is like, oh, well, that's how, you know, you try to regulate or self-soothe or whatever it is. But what is actually happening in the regulation, right? So you're trying to take care of somebody else's needs, but when you kind of think about what your experience is of that, are you actually self-regulating? Well, you're using the other person to regulate. You're not self-regulating. Right. I mean, right, to regulate, but are you actually experiencing what it feels like to be regulated? No. Exactly. The whole thing is when we run again from, you know, that place of codependence. And just by the way, those of you who maybe identify as a little more avoidant are probably out there saying, this is not me at all. This is not my issue. It looks different. There's the yin to the yang. Codependent, that means I'm co-regulating. <laughs> I'm using something outside myself to regulate. If you run anxious, it's so much, no, 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 I'm not, I can't use anything, which also signifies there's a real fear and trust around being in regulation with someone. I've got to do it all on my own. So there's you a mean, way- You uh, avoidant, if you run avoidant. Correct. Yeah. What did I just say? Anxious. Oh, well, the other partner will run anxious. Yeah. But you were like, you got it. I totally missed it. Yeah, you did. I, I feel you like- You said maybe... if you run anxious, then you're going to be like, no, it's too much. Oh, if the other person, yeah, yeah, I see. So I wonder if I should go back and restate. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, just start from talking about- For you avoidance. Yes. By the way, for you avoidance out there who- are listening to this and thinking there is no way that I run codependent. Let's remember there's always the yin to the yang. And if you are in relationship with someone who's probably running more anxious, if your way is really, right, the avoidant subconsciously, the system is saying, I'm going to do so much me on my own. There's no room for that co-regulation that really there's a sense of fear there in essence that it's not safe to be in that regulation with someone, right? So there is this push away from a fear of what's there, in essence, right? Or there could be over-reliance on something else versus a person, which is still codependence, right? Like, I could run more avoidant and be a substance abuser, right? So I'm using the substance instead of the person, right? Right? Anxious attachers tend to use more the person, right? Right. That's a great point. Yeah. People who are more susceptible to gaslighters and even like gaslighters themselves are codependent. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, because you need somebody to gaslight. Right. 
Exactly. Right. Looking for that regulation or dysregulation from someone else. Right. And, and so do you find, I mean, we did have a whole episode about gaslighting. Do you find that, or maybe we didn't, did you find, do you find like the, the person who's doing the gaslighting as the avoidant and the person who's being gaslit as the anxious? I think that they can flip flop. Okay. Right. Because somebody who's anxious could also, you know, be on one hand, you know, they have that over attunement, right? So you can be the one being gaslit. The sorry, I'll just re ask. I'm gonna I'm gonna mm-hmm. rewind for a second. Most commonly, I would say that the avoidant would be the gaslighter, right? Because the distress is in feeling the feeling. And so the avoidant, again, it might not necessarily be conscious, but is flipping it on the other on the other party, the gaslightee, <laughs> in order to not have their emotional experience, right? Because in essence, having an emotional experience is going to feel unsafe for an avoidant, as well as it also feels unsafe for somebody who runs anxious. Feels unsafe in both directions. It just looks a little different. Mm -hmm. So what do you think you would want to do about how can we help people who identify as being codependent or being in a codependent relationship? So I think, you know, you had actually said this at the very beginning when you talked about Am I really regulated? What am I really feeling? Right. Start coming from the place of we have to remember it's it's not bad to want to regulate with others. We we want interdependence. So that will mean regulating with others. Right. As a part of not the whole thing, but a part of. So we don't want to go into I'm going to draw all these, you know, quote unquote, boundaries. And I'm just saying no hardlining things. That is also dysregulation. I would say the first step is always in awareness of, oh, when am I in the, that, that, that kind of inner tigger from Winnie the Pooh, that people pleasing, the, you know, over giddiness, for example, those sneaky ways, right? When I'm meeting someone else's need to start clocking, wh- where is this coming from? What am I actually feeling right now? Like that's going to be the first step. And the second is if you need to draw a boundary in some capacity or step away from a situation or some distance will be, might be created. Guilt can come up rather than pushing away that guilt or saying to myself, I shouldn't feel this way because I, I, I shouldn't be codependent. Look at it from this, come at it from this state, this, the point of view of I am actually experiencing dysregulation, right? So I had the awareness then I am having this feeling that's uncomfortable. I need to re-regulate myself versus I'm trying to push away guilt that I shouldn't be feeling. I'm going to just focus on regulating my nervous system. And I'm going to do that through building self-regulation. So that means learning to identify what I'm feeling inside, expanding my ability or strengthening my ability to experience my emotion, and then my personal ability to meet my own need, to support my experience. And I think what's really important there is to, again, identifying you know, am I doing this for myself or am I doing it for other? And I think that really also examining your family of origin and your family Mm -hmm. system, right? Like what is your relationship like with your parents? What are your relationships like with your sibling or what are your siblings or what are your relationships like with your primary caregivers? Or how does this show up in relationships with your friends? So we're not only talking about 
romantic relationships, although that usually tends to be the default, we're also talking about like, how does this show up in other relationships that I'm involved in? So I think like getting really clear and being able to map that out, and some of it might be obvious, like the alcoholic parent, and other ones, other ones might not be so obvious because I think being a parentified child, we don't always know that we're taking care of our parents' needs. Or when we're, you know, getting that phone call from one of our parents and we start to feel that really deep sense of guilt, we're so used to feeling those feelings around these particular people that we don't realize that what our, what our actions are as a result of feeling this guilt can be interpreted as, you know, it could possibly be a codependent action. That's what I meant by that awareness piece, right? Like it's going to be really hard to change behaviors if you're not mm -hmm. aware of when it's happening. And because when we're in that state of dysregulation, our brains are in a certain amount of rigidity, it's really hard to take in new information. So again, going back to, okay, now I need to go regulate. What do I need? Like learning that. If you run codependent, you might not know what you need. And avoidance also struggle with that, right? Like they might also not know what they need in the moment or they'll just say, I just need space. That's not always the answer, right? So it's going to be flexing a different muscle. And back to what you had said, Mary, around getting clear in all these aspects of your life. Start looking at who you're surrounding yourself with. How much value do you put on other people? What are your interests, right? What's really important to you? And making sure you're spending time with people who are also aligned in that way. So that could be even in the sense of things might look different in friendships. But if you guys hold the same value of growth, you can do the work there if you're single. It will still translate, right? Yeah, I was kind of using this like metaphor of, you know, getting invited to a party and I was talking to somebody about this and I said, don't show up to the party because you've been invited. Show up to the party because you want to go to the party. Yeah. I remember actually when, you know, I identify, I, I identify as a recovering codependent. And years ago, I was talking about some person, some love prospect and all the things that they were doing that were, that were showing that they were interested or not interested. I can't even remember. And my friend said to me, but what do you feel about it? And I actually couldn't answer that question. Like, I couldn't wrap my head around. I was like, well, of course I'm interested because I'm talking about what they're doing. It took me years to understand that my feelings about what they were doing or not doing, th that was only like kind of like part of the equation, right? Because that's that, you see it right there. It's all about the external thing versus do I find this person interesting? Are they intriguing to me? Do they match my values, right? Like it took me a long time to understand that. I love that because, you know, when you grow up in certain environments and you kind of think that like your presence is just to serve like other people's needs, yeah. it's like we just don't, it's so hard to separate that. Oh, I'm not here just to, you know, serve this person's needs or to make sure that this person is okay or to take care of this or to take care of that. So you know, I love that you're talking about that in your own personal story because it's like, oh, right. We have to remember like, wait, what is what are my feelings around this situation? 
And and that can even look like the shoulds, right? Maybe you grew up in a family where there was just a lot of expectation to perform in a certain way. I should do this. I should do that. I should. Where is what you want? You might not know that. Again, that might take time. So it might not outwardly look like a parent's need, but it might just be the shoulds. Uh, right. But, right? you know, where'd those shoulds come from? Exactly. Exactly. I'm just saying how. No, I get it. No, uh, totally. How it can look, right? It can show up in all these sneaky, insidious ways. That's such a trigger for me when when people say, oh, because I grew up with hearing a lot of shoulds. So when people say, well, you should do this and you should do that, I'm like, I... you know, another example that reminds me, it's actually in Facing Codependence at Pia Melody's book, which is a wonderful book on codependence. Again, that's called Facing Codependence. She talks about this neighbor who was kind of watching another neighbor do something for somebody who was feeling ill. And the neighbor who was doing the thing was kind of like overloading themselves with work. And the nosy neighbor, we'll call them, said, turned, you know, like looked over the fence and said, oh, you shouldn't do that. You're going to overexert yourself. The nosy neighbor was was acting from a state of codependence. Like, keep your mind in your own business, right? Like, allow your partner to do what they're going to do and you focus on yourself. Right. And I love that. That is a boundary. That's a boundary. And that also goes back to how you were talking about creating that space. Like, it's like that neighbor couldn't contain themselves and had to say something. And I feel like that, you know, just what they needed you were to saying, be part of it. They yeah, they needed they needed to be part of it. They just couldn't contain themselves. They couldn't be a curious observer, as we like to say. They needed to stick their nose in the business. They needed to be a part of it. They needed to feel like they contributed. They needed to feel like they were important. And they probably need that sense of power. And they probably needed that other person to validate them and say, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, that. Such an interesting cycle in dance. It it really is. And, you know, when you had mentioned all the things that this nosy neighbor needed, I, I love where you said they, they needed to feel a part of, right? This isn't coming from, let's say, it's coming from a place of wounding, right? So if we can create mm. more awareness, the passion, the compassion can come in. Oh, there, this part of me only learned to feel love from a sense of doing. Well, you're loved without doing, right? But you have to connect to that. I love that. I think that's such a good place to end. Yeah. Yeah. I want to just give one more reference mm-hmm. a wonder, and another we'll put wonderful another these in book, the show notes mm-hmm, is uh codependent no more by melody Beatty, another wonderful book on codependence and it has some really really good exercises in there too if you're if you're listening to this and end up feeling strongly dysregulated <laughs> from hearing all the ways you're codependent just remember if you focus on regulating your nervous system you are like 80 percent there and things do get better. They require active and consistent change. And you can do it. We believe in you. Just do the work. I agree. And there's something so important about that nervous system regulation. We talk about that so much in this podcast. So if you have any questions about codependency, about anything, mental health, you can visit me at Mary B Therapy on Instagram. DM me. Or come see me on my website, marybtherapy.com. And thanks for listening.